0: Welcome in everyone. Welcome to another edition of Connor and Coverage. My name is Connor Riley. We are back after a little vacation last week. Uh, talking the latest Georgia football. Obviously, next Tuesday we'll have a lot more to talk about. That'll be when Georgia goes in front of the SEC Media Days there in Hoover, Alabama, and talks about a number of topics. We're going to do a little bit tonight uh, what Georgia is going to talk about and what Kirby is probably going to be asked next week at SEC Media Days there in Hoover. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit tonight at uh, top of the show about Todd Munkin and Matt Luke, those two guys, and sort of what had their roles in this 2021 season and why I think from an offensive perspective, those guys are two of the most important people within the Georgia organization this year because they're going to have a lot of say in terms of if this offense ultimately ends up living up to the expectations that so many out there have for Georgia this year. And if Georgia is going to win a national title, I I think a big reason why is going to be because of the coaching jobs that both Matt Luke and Todd Munkin do. And for a third topic, go a little off the board here, SEC, who's the third best team in the league this year? I I think Alabama is the number one team based on win totals. They are the favorite. Georgia is probably the clear favorite in the SEC East. But after that, I think there's a number of different ways and directions you could go and, and sort of pick who your, Third best team, potentially even a team that could upset, say, in Alabama or Georgia if things break the right way. So we'll touch on that there for a third topic tonight. But as always, welcome in. This is Connor and Coverage. If you have questions, ask away. We've got the chat pulled up. We're up on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch. If you listen to this on a podcast, we get all your podcasts on Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple Play, Google Play. Wherever you guys get your podcasts, we're up there. Uh, appreciate you guys listening and tuning in. Uh, but without further ado... Let's get into our first subject of the night here on what we think about this coming 2021 season. And the, the big talk, and this is what Kirby's going to be asked about a lot next week in Hoover, is you know how do you get your offense to where LSU was in 2019 and Alabama was in 2020? And I think the two big guys there are going to be Matt Luke and Todd Munkin. We're going to start with Todd Munkin because I think there's a quieter confidence around Todd Munkin entering this second season. I think last year you saw... It wasn't the play calling. The play design was there with Todd Munkin when he was in charge and designing plays. Just unfortunately for a lot of those big games against Florida, against Alabama, it was the throws that were not necessarily there. And obviously the quarterback situation, Jamie Newman opting out before the start of the season. You have... Uh, Stetson Bennett getting hurt in that Florida game, along with just being ineffective in the second half of that Alabama game. Dwan Mathis being as erratic as he was in that first game against Arkansas. And really, you didn't start to see the offense, I think, that this team could have had in 2020 until JT Daniels took over for the seventh game of the season. So and I think, last year showed, hey, you've got a clear upgrade in terms of play caller, play designer scheme and a guy who's going to be able to make adjustments and do some of the things that James Coley wasn't able to do in 2019, and even say Jim Chaney, as good as he was from 2016 to 2018, do some of the things that he wasn't necessarily able to do. So I think there's a real confidence about Munkin, at least from those that follow Georgia, that those are around the program and know what we're going to get from Munkin. Obviously, the national media, which will be on center stage next week there in Hoover, Alabama, is going to be asking a lot about Munkin and what we can expect to see from year two with JT Daniels coming back. But I wanted to go on a little bit of the talking points sort of surrounding Munken and what really he needs to do in his second season to have a successful year, so to speak. So the keys to success for Todd Munkin this year, the first one is put JT e. Daniels in a position to shine. He was doing that last year with his quarterbacks, regardless of who it was, Stetson Bennett, Juan Mathis, even JT Daniels, most obviously. He's got to put pl- JT Daniels in a spot where he can make those big throws, where he can consistently hit guys that are open, guys that have been schemed open. And I think you saw a little bit of last year. You need to see more of that this season. You saw those deep shots in In that Peach Bowl game against Cincinnati, the 55-yarder to George Pickens, the 51-yarder to Arian Smith, they need more of those this season, those big plays, and they need to be able to turn those into touchdowns. The second thing, and this might be in terms of recruiting right now, maybe the most important thing, they really need these 2020 wide receivers to develop into big-time players. You saw Jermaine Burton break out a little bit last year. Arian Smith had some moments. Marcus Rosemey-Jack Saint did as well. But you really need that crop of guys, which you can include Justin Robinson and Ladd McConkie in as well. You need those guys to develop. You need those guys to make plays. Because I think as we're seeing right now, when it comes to the recruiting position for Georgia, when it comes to recruiting receivers, they're not able to offer sort of the same things that Ohio State, that Alabama, that Clemson are able to offer. And just looking at those recent title winners – Alabama, LSU, Clemson, those guys have all had elite wide receiver play, and it's easier to get that when you have elite wide receiver recruits. So if Jermaine Burton develops into a stud, which a lot of people think will be the case, if... Marcus Rosemary Jack Saint takes a step forward and maybe emerges as your starting X there. If even to say an Arik Gilbert, who we can count in that 2020 wide receiver room, develops and continues to get better, I think that's another position and another player that Todd Munkin really is going to have to get the most out of this season. And then the third thing, he's got the sort of unenviable task of feeding everyone. There are a lot of options and talented players on this Georgia offense. You know, they go five deep in the running back room. They have Darnell Washington. They have Brock Bowers, John Fitzpatrick in the tight end room. We touched on all the wide receivers. He's got the ability to diversify. There we go. All right, we're back. Sorry about that. Um, trying to diversify everything and, and get that get the ball into the hands of so many of these targets. And you're going to have to keep a lot of guys happy. But I think Todd Munkin is going to be able to do that and scheme up a way to sort of get everyone involved. Feed Zemir White. Feed Kendall Milton, etc. So it'll be interesting to see sort of how these things play out with Georgia and Todd Munkin this year. I think there's a lot of confidence around him and sort of how that next step gets taken. So it'll be interesting to see how Munkin builds off what I think a lot of people thought was a really positive year one. The other second-year offensive coach is obviously Matt Luke. And Matt Luke had the unenviable task of following in Sam Pittman, who essentially was everything you could want in an offensive line coach. He was a, I, I think a, a great developer of talent. It was an exceptional recruiter, a guy who just did everything right. And that's why he's the head coach at Arkansas and potentially going to be someone who's going to be a very successful head coach there. So Luke comes in and he does a great job of holding that first recruiting class together. He, he keeps the guys, he keeps Tate Rattledge. He wins the Broderick Jones battle. He wins Cedric Von Prawn. And brings those guys in. Then in that 2021 recruiting class, he goes out. He signs Amarius Mims, five-star tackle. He signs Dylan Fairchild, the four-star guard out of Cumming, Georgia. He signs um, blinking on uh, Michael Morris out of Camden County. He signs those top 100 players that you need to sign. Now comes the part where you develop those guys into players and you get that offensive line to gel because quite frankly, the offensive line is the season we're on last season was just simply not where it needed to be to be a championship caliber offensive line and you can chalk that up to trey hill going down with an injury ben cleveland opting out of the bowl game and if you want to draw too much from that game against cincinnati i I would caution against that but i think it's also fair to point out that the starting five offensive linemen for that game against cincinnati there's a very real chance that that's the same starting offensive line you see against Clemson. And if you saw what they did against Cincinnati, where they struggled to run the ball consistently, gave up a couple of pressures there to JT Daniels, that shouldn't have inspired confidence in what this offensive line can do. So I think Matt Luke and this Georgia offense going into offensive line, going into 2021, they need to take a step forward. There's talent in that room, especially on the younger side, but even you have veterans and guys like Jamari Sawyer, who's probably going to be a first team all SEC offensive lineman next week. Justin Schaefer is someone pro football focused likes a lot. Warren Erickson has played significant snaps. Uh, uh, Warren McClendon is a potential all SEC offensive tackle at the right tackle spot. So there's talent there. Matt Luke just has to go and get the most out of it and find the best combination of guys. That's something you're going to hear a lot when Kirby Smart talks about the offensive line this fall. They want to get the best combination of players and and figure out who those guys are and who those guys should be because that's going to really determine success there for that offensive line. And so, How I bring up the keys to success with regards to Todd Munkin, we'll do the same with Matt Luke here. The biggest one is just find the best five-man offensive line combo. I think right now, that first game against Clemson, you ha- you feel pretty confident you know who four of those guys are. It's going to be Jamari Sawyer. It's going to be Warren Erickson at center. It's going to be Justin Schaefer at one of the guard spots, and it's going to be Warren McClendon at right tackle is your fifth-best offensive lineman is that Xavier Truss at left tackle or is that, say, Tate Ratledge at right guard? That's something that Matt Luke is really going to have to figure out specifically for that first game against Clemson. But then I think once they get past that, they're going to have time to address that sort of issue and over the course of the season find the best five players in that offensive line. That sort of goes into our second point here. they got to develop those 2020 and 2021 signees. That's a guy like Tate Ratledge. That's a guy like a Broderick Jones, a Marius Mims is someone I think a lot of people want to see play this season. Cedric Von Prahn at center. They're going to have to find a way to develop those guys, get those guys playing time because they didn't, with those 2020 guys last season, didn't get a chance to do that. I, Isaac Cruz asked on Facebook, is Amarius Mims going to start? That's going to be an interesting question. I think maybe that's something where if it does happen, it's going to be at the end of the season there. And then the third sort of topic there, and this ties into Mims a little bit, they have to find a way to get the most out of Jamari Sawyer, whose name I unfortunately spelled wrong there. Um, they got to find the way to put him in the best position to succeed because I think he's really going to open up a lot of things for this offensive line this season. If they feel it's at left tackle and that means Tate Rattledge is at right guard, they've got to just get the most out of Jamari Sawyer. If that ultimately means, to Isaac's question, if Amarius Minster is starting left tackle, the guy you want next to him is Jamari Sawyer at left tackle. So how Georgia goes about balancing that out and sort of finding the – best way to get the most out of uh, out of Jamari Sawyer this season I think is going to unlock a lot of things for not just himself as he tries to validate himself as a top offensive lineman in college football and potentially the NFL draft I think that they're going to have to find a way to use Jamari Sawyer to help open things up for a guy like say Cedric Von Prahn at center or an Mims at left tackle there so Matt Luke while everyone I think the national media next week is going to talk a lot about Todd Munkin and what he has to do in his second season at Georgia. I think the guy that's more important for Georgia in terms of making the improvements you need to see for this Georgia offense to be a national championship caliber is Matt Luke. I think he's the guy that needs to show that, hey, I know replacing Sam Pittman is a tough job, but I'm certainly up for it and capable of doing so. And so, again, coming in through a pandemic, obviously we know all the excuses that were made with regards to Todd Munkin last season, specifically with the quarterback you can probably count that with the offensive line as well, where chemistry is just such a big part of that position and finding that the right combination of guys, when you have weird practice schedules and you're not getting a full offseason can be a little bit tougher, but year two, this offensive line needs to look like what it did under Sam Pittman in, in 2017, 2018 and 2019. If Georgia's is going to get to where they need to be and ultimately I think be a national championship contender. So touch a little bit on Todd Munkin there, touch a little bit on Matt Luke. That's our first uh, main topic du jour tonight. Uh, if you've got questions, ask them away. We've got the chat pulled up. Uh, if you have any questions, comments, go ahead. Um, I, again, I think Matt Luke is going to be, as Damon Smith brings up, if Matt Luke is able to get the most out of this offensive line this year, I think that's going to be really, really important for the rest of this team because JT Daniels isn't going to shine. If he's worried about pressure coming from every angle at all the time, he needs to have trust in that offensive line and sort of know and understand that this is the best group of guys out there protecting me. And if he's not, if he's second guessing the protections and say what a a Jamari Sawyer or Justin Schaefer, where those guys might be in terms of protecting and keeping him upright, it's going to, Make it much harder to make those downfield plays to a Jermaine Burton, to an Eric Gilbert, to a Darnell Washington. So Matt Luke, I I think of the assistant coaches. This is a bad word, pressure, because Matt Luke did just get an extension last week. Matt Luke's not under pressure per se, but he really I think needs an offense, the the Georgia offensive line to have a really strong season this year to sort of validate why he was brought in. Again, he was a former head coach. I think at some point he'd like to get back to being a head coach and and. Kirby Smart just showed with Sam Pittman that if you come here and recruit as well as you can and develop as well as you do, you've got a chance to go be a head coach somewhere. And so, you know, it may not be as prestigious as Arkansas was, but Matt Luke, if I think if he goes out and does what Sam Pittman did on the offensive line, I think Matt Luke could very easily find himself becoming a head coach once again. So I think it'll be interesting to see. Uh, how that all brings up. Yeah. HR picking stuff. The key to a national championship is just protecting JT Daniels. I think that's a pretty simple thing. Uh, I, I center point media. I wouldn't go as far to say Matt Lucas on the hot seat. Uh, if the offensive line disappoints this season, I think that's to say disappoints. Like, What does that mean? Is it, you know, the offensive line, it isn't Joe more qu- caliber or, it's, you know, obviously I, my definition of disappoints would be so thoroughly getting outplayed in games against Clemson, potentially Alabama, Ohio state, and in a college football playoff game, if you're getting outplayed and pushed around there, then yeah, that's, that to me, that's disappointing, especially when you've recruited as well as Georgia has on the offensive line. But to say that he's going to be on the hot seat after this season is incredibly premature. So I think that'll be sort of the, one of the big stories to watch there, uh, especially as, you know, we're getting closer and closer to the season. Now I think seven, maybe six weeks, uh, until six more Saturdays until Georgia Clemson kick off on September 4th. So we're looking forward to that. But moving on to our second topic here tonight, obviously SEC media days are next week. We're going to have live coverage for you next Tuesday night as well as potentially Monday as well with Dog Nation. Obviously Kirby and the Georgia players, which we don't know yet, are going to be speaking on Tuesday. If I had to throw a dart at a dartboard who that was going to be, I think it's going to be Jordan Davis and JT Daniels. Wouldn't surprise me if it's a guy like Jamari Sawyer instead of Daniels as well. But I think jo- Jordan Davis is probably a pretty safe bet. Maybe you can make a case for Kobe Dean, but I think it's gonna be Jordan Davis and JT Daniels speaking there next week for Georgia. And so, you know, obviously next week, I think Georgia is going to be the pretty clear favorite to win the SEC East. I think Bama is going to get most of the votes in the West. So the thing that I want to ask you tonight, and you guys can go ahead and chat and enter your comments and who this might be, who is right now the third best team in the SEC? You have a ton of different options. Uh, you know, Texas A&M, I'm sure, is going to be a popular answer in the comments section. Obviously, Brandon Adams, favorite team. Uh, you know, LSU, do they have a bounce back season there? What does Florida look like after having replaced all the production on the offensive side of the ball? I think it's all going to be really interesting to see how that all plays out. And to sort of give you an idea of just how contested it's going to be with that third team team, who is the third best team, which more often than not, you're gonna be in a playoff consideration. You even think back to twenty seventeen when arguably Alabama was the third best SEC team at the end of the regular season, and they end up getting into the playoff. And and more often than not, that third best SEC team is a playoff caliber team. And so we bring up these are the I believe William here, William Hill over unders. You have Texas AM at nine and a half wins, Florida at nine, LSU at eight and a half, Ole Miss at seven and a half, and then Auburn, Kentucky, and Missouri at seven. So those are sort of the teams that odds makers think can be that third best team. Obviously, Georgia at 10 and Alabama at 11 and wins as well. I think with AM, the big question is to me, they got to replace a lot on their offensive line. And how they go about doing that is going to be really interesting, along with they have to break in a new quarterback. And while Kellen Mon was rarely spectacular, he was pretty consistent last season. And, and so does Haynes King, who I think we all think is going to be the guy there in Texas AM, does he help elevate that program and get it to a spot where it's no longer losing to Alabama by four touchdowns? Is they are potentially beating when those two teams meet, I believe, on October 9th. Uh, you know, can Texas AM make that next step, along with not taking any steps backwards? I think the the thing that impressed a lot of people from watching Texas AM last year was they beat all the teams they were supposed to beat. That's really difficult to do. And so, you know, Georgia, you can't say they had done that in either of the last two seasons with losses to Florida, I think, last year, and then a loss to South Carolina the year before that. And if you want to go back in 2018 and include that LSU team, you can include them there as well because Georgia was favored, I believe, in all three of those games. So, you know, can Texas A&M maintain that consistency while also making the leap ahead? I'm not as quite as high on them this season, but it would not surprise me in the least if they end up being the third best team. In the SEC. Uh, LSU in Florida, I, I think a lot of people are just saying, oh, it was a bad year last year for LSU. They're going to bounce back. This is a hungry team. It's a young team. There's a lot of interesting talent out there. Uh, the question it still comes down to me personally is, how could Ed Ogeron, the guy that signed off on all those hires last season, the guy that had to make all those replacements, why should we give him the benefit of the doubt that these changes are going to work And when he had a chance to do something similar last season? And just didn't. And they got a tricky, tricky schedule. They open at UCLA. And, and I know not everyone here pays attention to all UCLA Pac-12 football. UCLA has the most returning experience of any Power 5 team out there. That game is not going to be as easy as some people think. And so LSU, you know, they it, it'll be interesting to see who, A, who wins that quarterback job. I think between Max Johnson and Miles Brennan. And sort of B, I don't think anyone is expecting the Joe Burrow type year. They certainly, I don't think, have the wide receiver position as well stocked as they did then, but can they show they're much better than the five and five team they were a season ago? And I'd add, they were lucky to be a five and five team. There was a case where if a few balls bounced the wrong way, they were three and seven team at the end of the season last year. So LSU was I think an interesting one. Florida, I'm probably higher on Florida than most. The one question I have with them is just their offense is going to be so drastically different this season. And they're going to have to be more run-oriented just given all that they lost in the passing game. And what ultimately I think that playing to Emory Jones's strengths are not the same thing that Kyle Trask has. So can you get that run game going? Because it was really non-existent these last couple of years, especially in games against Georgia. And then you look, they have to play Alabama. They have to play LSU. They're going to play those physical football teams. Can you run the ball against those teams? Because you're going to need to this year when you don't have the same passing threat. I think it's a really interesting year for Dan Mullen after last year, where they made real strides on the field during the course of the season. But there were still some real head-scratching moments. And then away from the field, I don't think Mullen really helped himself all that much. So it'll be interesting to see what this Florida team looks like. If there's two teams that I could touch on that are sort of lower tiers, it's that Ole Miss team. And excuse me, I got something in my eye here. It's that Ole Miss team and that Kentucky team. Kentucky comes in at seven. And, you know, it's a popular trope to say, oh, this team's a quarterback away from doing this. I actually think Kentucky is good enough on the lines of scrimmage to be able to compete with a lot of teams in this league. It really just comes down to can Joey Gatewood or Bo Allen make enough plays on the offensive side of the ball, throwing the football in particular to sort of help this team take that next step? Because I think there is talent there on the lines of scrimmage, and that's an easy way to rack up wins in this league. And then Ole Miss. Uh, Matt Corral could very easily be the best quarterback in the SEC. I, I think there's a lot of talent at Ole Miss. Lane Given is a gifted play caller, as good as there are in college football. They do have to replace some guys on the perimeter. But if this if this defense can simply go up at Ole Miss, can go from bad to just average, I think that's going to help them a lot. And what they have on offense, what they bring back on offense, I think they're going to be an interesting team. I, I think Brandon, Ad- Brandon Adams is a little correct when he says, you know, he doesn't know if the consistency is going to be there week to week with Ole Miss. But I think on a, on a single-game slate, as you sort of saw last year when Alabama had a real struggle with them, you know, can this Ole Miss team say upset an LSU, upset a Texas a and I think it's going to be really interesting to see what Lane Kiffin does in year two there in Oxford. And maybe make some big headway there in the SEC West when I think that whoever that second-best team is is a little bit up for grabs right now. So it'll be interesting to see how that pans out. You guys have a ton of uh, comments and questions. So... Uh, keep those coming. We'll answer them as the show goes on. So, yeah, again, a lot of trolling going out there. So it'll be interesting. Tenille Calvino's, Calvino says Texas A&M. She also thinks LSU is going to be a little bit better. Um, Isaac Cruz brings up, yeah, Florida, it, Demarcus Bowman is going to be a really good player. But it, it, if Henry Jones is your leading rusher, I do have some questions. So, uh, it'll be interesting to see who ends up being that third best team. I imagine Texas AM is probably favored to do so. Obviously, they have the highest win total, but they've got some real questions. And so, if they answer that, it'll be interesting to see how it goes from there. So, uh, last little subject here for us tonight. So we just touched a little bit on the SEC at large, more specifically focusing back on Georgia, previewing what Kirby Smart is going to talk about at SEC media's days next week. They are going, the Georgia team will be speaking on Tuesday. We do not know yet the player representatives for Georgia. If I had to guess, they're going to send Jordan Davis and JT Daniels. I think those are going to be, are going to be the guys that get to speak for Georgia and be representatives of this program. You can make a case to say in a Kobe Dean, a Jamari Sawyer, but I think those two guys are probably the safest bets to sort of talk. And, and so some of the, one of the things I want to do is sort of just set the table a little bit, establish what storylines are going to be out there, what people are going to be talking about, what questions are going to come Kirby's way. And so I figure I pull it up for you guys right here. Again, Kirby's going to speak on Tuesday. We're going to have wall to wall coverage for you on dog nation throughout that day. At the end of the day on Tuesday, we're going to wrap up and discuss what we saw that day, what we heard, what we thought, the, the whole thing. So Without further ado, here are the questions that I think the big ones for Kirby Smart next week. Obviously, what are his thoughts on the name, image, and likeness change? That rule officially went into effect on July 1st. It'll be interesting to see because this is obviously going to just be a very popular topic next week. What coaches have to say about this It's the first time they can really talk about it since those rules have gone into effect. Is it, a, you know, obviously the ship has already sort of sailed in terms of whether or not they think it is good for college football, but sort of at a larger point, their concerns about it, who can take advantage of it. Should the, should Congress get involved? Should the NCAA get involved? I think what goes there, obviously on a super specific level, Injury front issues, N'Kobe Dean, MJ Sherman, they both had labrum surgeries in January, and they are thus out for the rest of the spring. Dominic Blaylock, Marcus Rosemi jack Saint, those injured wide receivers, what do they look like? Where are they in their recovery process? Marcus Rosemey-Jack Saint, from what I've heard, is a little bit farther along, obviously, than where Dominic Blaylock is. I think Bl- Rosemi jack Saint could be a very good player in that first game against Clemson. Blaylock, I'm not totally sure yet. Uh, thoughts on the new transfers. Kirby's going to be able to comment publicly on Tyke Smith, Darian Kendrick. And then more specifically, this is the guy I think my number one story is, what does Kirby Smart have to say about Arik Gilbert? Because this is a player I believe Kirby Smart has wanted for a long time and did not get as a recruit in the 2020 recruiting cycle. Obviously, Gilbert transfers from LSU. It looks like he's going to go to Florida, backs off there ultimately ends up at Georgia and as is as talented as a player as there has been in recent college – coming out of the high school ranks, I should say, in recent seasons. So what does he have to say about Arik Gilbert? What does he have to say about his fit? Because obviously Gilbert came out as a tight end, but Georgia has him listed as a wide receiver now. And then this is going to be something where you hear this maybe a lot more from some of the national people and the questions that they're asking, more so than the local guys. What are the offensive improvements that are going to come? Because I think this is going to be a very popular topic from the national media next week. Obviously, I think projecting the standings a little bit there. Georgia is going to – Georgia is probably going to be picked to finish second in the SEC. They're going to be projected to win the SEC. But I think so many people, and myself included, are just so convinced that Alabama is going to be able to do it again and reload offensively while also bringing back a pretty stellar defense. That until and this is maybe more a personal thing, until I see Georgia actually do it and beat Alabama, I'm gonna be skeptical of just blindly putting Georgia ahead of Alabama. I have to, with my own eyes at this point, see that Georgia can make those little winning plays against an Alabama team. So those are sort of the, the the main topics we're looking forward to next week at SEC Media Days. Obviously, gets started on Monday. Greg Sankey's gonna kick things off. Uh, I believe on Monday you have Shane Beamer. Dan Mullen and Ed Ogeron. It's going to be actually a pretty fun Monday with Florida LSU and South Carolina there. Tuesday, you get Kirby Smart. You get Lane Kiffin. Uh, I believe Nick Saban and Jimbo Fisher go on Wednesday. And then on Thursday, I believe it is Auburn uh, with Brian Harson, Vanderbilt. And I believe there is one more on there as well. So it'll be a fun week. A lot of content we are have coming out of there. So uh, excited to talk football, real football. We're getting closer than ever. This is probably the, the real turning point from way too early off-season rankings to probably the preseason now. Fall camp's going to be here in about two weeks. It's going to be a fun time, six weeks really to the start of the season. Georgia opens up against Clemson. I imagine you're going to hear a few questions about that to Kirby, just given the magnitude of that first game there. But fun times. I'm looking forward to being there in Hoover next week. We're going to have a ton of content for you guys. But without further ado, let's go ahead and just open it up to a question free-for-all, sort of figure things out. Uh, in terms of what you guys want to talk about questions, you might have, uh, Joel Moody, George Pickens, it's still probably too soon to say where he is in terms of recovery and, and getting back onto the field. I think you're probably going to have to wait until September, early September to sort of get a more concrete idea of where he might be in his recovery process. But I'm sure that'll be a question to get asked. That'll get lumped in with Roseme, Jack St. Dominic Blaylock in terms of their injury recoveries as well. So um that'll be i i think something that gets brought up but maybe not be a main story so let's see um guys are going after Cody Ledoux. um let's see questions comments ask away and uh let's see if you got any good ones go ahead i'm scrolling up trying to find and kill time until i find a good question um let's see Uh, Tavares Cash, the top four receiver targets this season for Georgia. Number one, Jermaine Burton. I think that's pretty easy there. Number two, I will say Kiaris Jackson. I could see Kiaris being number one there as well. Number three, I will probably go... I really want to say Marcus Roseme jackson but I think I'm going to go with Arik Gilbert. And then at number four, I will say... Darno Washington just narrowly over James Cook. I think one of those, a non-wide receiver, I think, will rank in the top four, whether that is Washington, John Fitzpatrick, uh, Kendall Milton, James Cook, Kenny McIntosh, Samir White. I think Georgia has a a non-wide receiver in that top four there. And, again, Arian Smith is going to be a guy that got involved. They have a lot of talented players on the offensive side of the ball that they're going to have to find a way to get involved. But I think Burton and Jackson are pretty clearly your one and two. That third slot is, I think, in my opinion, probably going to come down to either Gilbert or Rosemary Jackson, whoever really emerges is that starting X position there. And then that fourth slide is going to be the mismatch guy, the Darnell Washington, who just blows you away with the size. Maybe an Arian Smith with his speed, James Cook with his ability and versatility coming out of the backfield. But I think those are probably right now my four guys. Uh, Jermaine Burton, Kyrus Jackson, Arik Gilbert, and Darnell Washington. Uh, Hugh Nash, welcome in. Um... Let's see. Uh, Isaac Cruz. So I don't know if it's a full, if I'm ready to go full blown prediction, but I think that first game, it's going to be Jamari Sawyer at left tackle, Justin Schaefer at left guard, uh, Warren Erickson at center, Tate Rattledge at right guard, Warren McClendon at right tackle. But I do think you're going to see some rotation in that game. I think both Tate Rattledge and and Xavier Truss are going to play in that game. George is going to try over the course of that game and just sort of trial by combat and see who that best fifth-best offensive lineman is. I think that first game is going to be really important. And then as the season develops, do you maybe see a, a Cedric Von Prahn make a move and a Marius Mims make a move there? But that first game, I think there's going to be six guys that play a lot. And if you want to put a lot of value in who the starter is, maybe they go with Truss because he is a little bit more experienced than Rattledge. But I think that first game, both Rattledge and Truss are going to play Rattledge at that right tackle spot, Trush at that Truss, excuse me, at that left tackle position. Uh, let's see. Yeah, Joel Moody, Brock Bowers is the name to know as well. Uh, he, there's a Georgia doesn't have another guy like him on this roster. 6'3 can really operate in the middle of the field out of that tight end spot. So it's gonna be interesting to see how he gets used. I don't know how often he's gonna be used in that first game of the season, but I think from there. You know He's a guy, as the season goes on, I'll be interested to see how Georgia gets him involved on the offensive side of the ball. Um, Blake Seegers, who do you think wins the backup quarterback spot? Again, it's an unpopular answer, but I think Stetson Bennett is going to be the first guy off the bench. He's a guy that has legitimate SEC experience. Now, I, I think maybe the more interesting thing to watch if you are a Georgia fan interested in the backup quarterback battle is Say that week two against UAB, Georgia's up by 35 points in the fourth quarter. Who's the first quarterback that comes off the bench in that game? And do we get to see him throw the football at all? Because if we're getting to see real passing reps from Carson Beck and or Brock Vandergriff, I think that's going to be really telling in terms of how those guys develop. Because you think back to that 2017 season, Jalen Hurts was the starting quarterback for Alabama that entire season. and But Alabama still wanted to get two Atunga-Vailoa reps. And so they got him in situations where he could get reps and get comfortable playing against FBS uh, competition. Now, obviously, he had never been in a game or in a situation as big as he was in the second half of that national championship game. But I think he really benefited from having played in, in blowouts against Tennessee and blowouts against Vanderbilt that season. So that sort of experience is what I'm really interested in seeing between Carson Beck and Brock Vandegrift in terms of how that battle plays out. But. If J.T. Daniels goes down for a little bit. I think you're going to see Stetson Bennett uh, come in and finish the rest of the drive. And then if they want to make a change from there, I, it'll be interesting to see how that develops. But game one, that first game of the season, I think it's Stetson Bennett. He's a dude. He started, I believe, six SEC games, went four and uh, you know picked up wins over Arkansas, Auburn, Tennessee last season on the road at Kentucky. Did have Georgia up at halftime against Alabama. Obviously, that game didn't end the way anyone wanted it to. Specifically, Stetson Bennett but there's still real value there in Stetson Bennett and having that kind of experience as a backup. So I I think it, you know, unfortunately that's not a good answer to the question, but I think Stetson is your guy that comes in off the bench, but I will say how Brock Vandergriff and Carson Beck develop, especially when they get a chance to enter games is going to be something worth following this entire season. So it'll be interesting there as well. Um, well, String Gene, I'm not saying that late in games, Stetson Bennett is going to get reps. I'm saying if something were to happen to JT in a short notice, I think that's where you see a guy like Stetson Bennett come in. So it's, you know, again, it's a difficult thing to balance, but I think it's something worth doing for Georgia this year. Um, let's see who plays better, the offensive line or the defensive backs? I will say defensive backs. Uh, maybe not in game one if you're asking game. Well, but then they got a Georgia's offensive line has to play Clemson's defensive line. Give me the defensive backs. Uh, maybe not to start the season, but I think as the season goes on, between what they have and Kirby Smart, guys like Darian Kendrick, Tyke Smith having played before, bringing back both safeties and Scene and Smith. I, I think I think come game thirteen that unit's going to have things figured out. And while it might not be as good as it was in the 2019 or 2020 seasons, I think it's going to be a plenty capable secondary there with the offensive line. I got to see it. I got to see this group really emerge and, and become stout over the course of the season. And so that's sort of where my answer is there. Um, So uh, yeah, I would say probably I am high higher over the course of the year on the defensive backfield than I am the offensive line play um let's see let's keep those close cool. to uh maybe two more good questions we've gone about 35 minutes here again this is connor in coverage we do this every tuesday next tuesday we're gonna be live in hoover discussing and breaking down everything that sort of happened after sec media days maybe we'll get a guest uh tons of stuff to talk about out there so let's see um let's see Uh, Kempo Lee, do I think George Pickens will ever play for George again? That's up to George. Uh, you know, obviously there are reasons for and against it uh, to show teams that he has recovered a little bit from that ACL injury. But at the same point in time, I don't know what George really has left to prove for Georgia. And so, you know, if he wants to continue rehab with Georgia and then just ultimately say I'm preparing myself for the NFL draft, that's on him. And so it's going to be something worth paying attention to over the course of the season. I think if you're a Georgia fan, you're hoping that a guy like Dermaine Burton or a guy like a Gilbert emerges as sort of that stud wide receiver that Pickens was. So the need to rush him back or to bring him back into the fold is not as dire as it appeared to be back on March 25th. So uh, yeah, Tony Henry, that's a great point. I think that front seven Georgia has is going to help out the defensive backfield quite a lot. Whereas the offensive line, you can't really help the offensive line. The offensive line has to do it for themselves. So, uh, Joel Moody has over or under 40 touchdowns for Daniels. I I'm going to say under – but it's going to be close. I think 35, 37 in that range. I think when Georgia gets in goal, goal-to-goal goal situations, they're going to want to give the ball to running backs. And Kendall Milton, Zamir White, I expect both those guys to have big seasons. And because of that, I think that eats into the touchdown numbers. Now, if you're telling me that Georgia is able to consistently hit those big yardage plays and turn, like last season, the 55-yard pass to Pickens, the 51-yard pass to Arian Smith in the, in the Peach Bowl win over Cincinnati – if those are better throws, those are touchdowns. That's what JT has to really improve on this season is turning those big plays that go for 20 yards into 60 yards. That's really what I think will be interesting to watch there. Ryland plays. Does Nicobe Dean play himself into the first round this year? It's going to be really interesting because I think Nicobe Dean is as good as any linebacker in this league. Maybe you could say Christian Harris is a little bit better, but Nicobe Dean is going to be an absolute stud and be a really, really good player. The one question that's going to come up with Nakobe is just size. He's not overly big, and as we know, when it comes to the NFL draft, if you don't have elite measurables, then it's 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 tough to really go in the first round, no matter how good you are. I believe if Aziz Ojulari was two inches taller, he's a first round draft pick, even with the believed knee injury concerns. So, Nakobe doesn't have the greatest physical measurables in terms of height. And while that's not necessarily all that important at linebacker, you you do wonder he's going to need to test really well. And I absolutely believe he could, but I think in terms of on play this season, I think N'Kobe Dean is going to have an exceptional season and really be a difference maker for Georgia. So that, you know, that will do it for tonight. Uh, Thanks everyone for tuning in. This has been Connor in coverage. We're going to have a ton of stuff for you guys uh, next week out of Hoover. Before then, you've obviously got Jeff Sintel before the hedges tomorrow night. Brandon Adams every Monday through Friday. Uh, Mike Griffith on the beat. He'll preview everything on Monday night. So uh, thanks everybody for tuning in. Uh, again, this is Connor and Coverage. You can get us wherever you get podcasts on uh, Spotify, Google, Apple, SoundCloud. Uh, we do this every Tuesday night now, fortunately on all social media platforms that we have. So. Thanks again, everybody, for tuning in. Uh, my name is Connor Riley. This has been Connor in Coverage. We will see you next Tuesday night live from Hoover.